Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reflective Teacher Podcast Season 3. Um, Lindsay and I are both here, um, and I am here with my very raspy voice that you will not hear in the rest of the interview, but school <laughs> has started and the children are here. We are using our, our teacher, teacher voices. Voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have an amazing episode today on STEM, and um, we have an amazing guest, Anne Gadzikowski. She is the author of many books. The one that we really looked into for our episode with her is called Young Architects at Play, STEM Activities for Young Children. So we wanted to do this because we feel like a lot of teachers in classrooms all over the country are always just like, I'm not like a science or a technology or an engineering or math person, like save me. And we feel like, and Anne agrees, that um, you know, you're already doing a lot of the stuff. It's just about like catching it in the moment and knowing, knowing that that's what you're doing. Yes, and she goes into detail on um, just the, some of the STEM, the science, technology, engineering, and math that is happening when children are using blocks and even magnetiles and Legos, um, like even just like like Home Depot items that you can think of, like pipes, stuff you goes. most likely already have, right? Or you could just easily get or blocks, like recycled wood, anything. So she goes into STEM and talks about how you just, it really is always there and just a little bit about like language you can use. And it was just really, again, inspirational and made us realize that we do a lot of it. We love construction play and architect play in our classroom, but you'll love it even more after you hear this. And when, yeah, when you're listening, you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. Oh my gosh, I'm doing yeah. that. Oh my God, like that's how we were when we were listening it. <laughs> Anyway, we are so excited for you to listen. Um, we hope there are some great takeaways STEM-wise for you, and we hope you enjoy. So without any further ado, here's our interview with Anne Gadzikowski. So Anne, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and that could be personally, professionally, whatever you want. Sure. Well, I've been working in the field of early childhood education for a long time. Um, my entire pro professional career has been working with children in one way or another. Started out as a preschool teacher in a small community-based early childhood program. I've been a director. I've been a curriculum writer. Um, I've written a number of books for Redleaf Press. Um, I, I think I'm working on my sixth book for Redleaf Press, but I've written on a lot of different topics. I know my last couple of books were on STEM-related topics with architecture and robotics, but I really see myself as um, as an explainer <laughs> or, or awesome. as a storyteller. Um, I'm, I, I don't see myself as um, focusing on one particular curriculum area. I'm just really fascinated by how children think yeah. And about the process of, of really listening to children. I I have a strong background in emergent curriculum practices like Reggio Emilia, where we pick mm -hmm. up on children's interests and, and build learning experiences around that. So um, so I'm just really passionate about thinking and learning, I think. <laughs> oh, we love that. That's amazing. So you are a teacher and a researcher. Yeah. So that's beautiful. You know, I think one of the interesting things about my um, path in mm -hmm. early childhood is that I'm not one of those people that grew up around children. Um, I, I rarely babysat. I didn't have little cousins or siblings that I took care of. I came to working with children after college. I actually went to school and studied music. I was a music major. I played violin and viola. I was very serious about being a classical musician. And then I kind of discovered children um, <laughs> when I was working as a part-time nanny. And I just kind of fell in love with these kids and I fell in love with having conversations with the kids. And so I grew into early childhood education from this background in the arts. Cool. But then when I was working at Northwestern University and I was developing early childhood enrichment programs for children, there was such a demand for STEM curricula. So robotics coding were just starting to become a really big deal. Um, engineering, all those kinds of things. And so I was kind of thrust into that. 
but I actually come from a family of STEM people. Um, both of my brothers, when I was growing up, were really interested in computers and um, just very kind of science-minded. So I found myself really comfortable talking to scientists and talking to robotics people and figuring out how all of these pieces fit together. So I, I am really fascinated by STEM, but it's not, it's not my only um, area of interest. Can you talk more about how you are really used to talking to people in, or talking to scientists or speaking scientifically? Because I think a really interesting part of thinking about STEM as a teacher is I think there's people perceive like a big barrier to entry. I don't know if you agree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think a lot of teachers can say, especially mm-hmm. in early childhood, can say, you know, I... This, that's not my thing. Yeah, I don't know. I would say it's like intimidating for a lot of people. Yeah, so I'd love to hear more about your mindset when you are talking to somebody and like almost thinking more scientifically um, or like thinking about like the scientific process and things like that. Yeah, I think I really came to a lot of that understanding through the re- the work of the educators in Reggio Emilia mm-hmm. um, and the idea of the hundred languages of children, mm-hmm. that there are all these different ways that children can show us what they know and explore the things that interest them. So certainly there's the arts, there's um, painting and drawing, there's clay and there's music and dance and movement and all those, those kinds of um, artistic media for exploring uh, an interest or a topic. But when I was working with kids, you know, a lot of the kids I worked with when I was developing STEM programs at Northwestern, many of them were on the autism spectrum or had um, other challenges where their language, their their verbal expressive language might have been delayed. Mm -hmm. And so I found that using tangible materials like puzzles and blocks or, or robotics too, was a way for them, was another language for them. It was a way for them to um, show us the, the creative and, and complex thinking that was going on that they couldn't tell us, tell us with words. So that was kind of the spark mm-hmm. that I think moved me in the direction of STEM was looking for more languages that children can use to, to learn and, and communicate in the classroom. Yeah, I think that's I think that's awesome. I think our goal is to figure out how we can tap into speaking that language, right? Yeah, and I feel I feel like so many teachers are doing it and they just don't realize it. Like even yeah. if I think about our yes. classroom, I'm just like I'm sh- I know we do a lot of it, but if you asked me to talk about STEM right now, I'd be like, "Oh, like I'd freeze up." We got to capitalize, <laughs> Lindsay. We got to capitalize on it. Yeah. When I was starting to develop robotics classes for little children at Northwestern, I talked to some of the robotics professors at the college level. Um, and it, it, it was so surprising to me that we had so much in common. And I think a lot of it has to do with this approach to, um, invention and innovation in the 21st century that focuses on design engineering and play Mm -hmm. um, at the college and professional level. You know, in in Silicon Valley, you've got, you know, people at at Google who are sitting around and, um, you know, playing ping pong on their lunch hours. Mm -hmm. Like this idea that play is part of being creative in a professional environment. I think that's something that's become more accepted and so there's a lot more common ground now I think between professionals who work in STEM and early childhood educators who work with children such a wonderful um, thought because yeah, it's I a feel, good connection I, I haven't yeah. made that connection. <laughs> and it's so true because and that's what we want right because like when we're I feel like we use we can like lots of people call it tinkering right for adults and even mm-hmm. in the case of like a ping pong match like that's just playing to kind of clear some mind space or do something else and and things like that and um what if we 
start like getting into it a little bit and and talking about construction play and architecture and maybe we'll start with construction play and how would you how would you define construction play i would define construction play as putting things together in an open-ended three-dimensional um manner so certainly blocks are what we think of first for construction play. But of course, there are all different kinds of construction that happens. But if it's truly play, then it's it's got to be open-ended. And I know there are a lot of great, you know, block kits on the market right. um, that are geared towards teaching STEM skills. But especially in the classroom where we are developing kind of a laboratory for exploration and learning, I really believe that true construction play for young children is open-ended. And every time the children sit down to play, they have an opportunity to try something new and do it differently. Um, and right. whether that's with blocks or it's with Legos and Duplos or cardboard or magnet tiles, that, um, that it's all exploratory. And, it, and it's tangible and it's physical and it's three-dimensional and it's a very different experience that children get when they're looking at a screen and, you know, playing a game on their iPad. Right. And even different, it sounds like, from, you know, playing with a set of, you know, a new toy that ha has to go together a certain way. Yeah. Yes. Like building yeah. a playground. or We have that. You know. Yeah. We have, like, some, some sets that, like, have to be, oh, those are kind of open-ended, I feel like. Yeah. Because they're like, I don't know, that's, it's, what? sorry to go on a tangent, but what are your thoughts on, we have a couple toys, um, one actually is a robot. Yeah. Kibo. Um, it's a Kibo robot. Have you heard of those? Yes. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the Kibo robot? I, I really like the Kibo robot. There, there are a couple of um, robots similar to the Kibo. There's, there's the Bebot, and oh, we have those um, two, I guess, and another great, yeah. Yeah, there's the, the little robot mouse that's on the market now. There's the Primo Cubeto robot. So any of these robots that children are able to program away from a screen, right? So they've yeah. got um, different kinds of tools. Some of them have um, little tiles that you put in a row and you make a path for the robot or some right. of them have buttons that you push and it makes the robot do something. Um, that's definitely um, teaching children important sequencing skills. And what I love to do with the robots is combine the robots with the construction toys, mm -hmm. especially like unit blocks that are that are big enough and, and heavy enough that you can make a road or a structure that the robot can um, live in or navigate around or go to visit because then it gives the children a story um, that they're creating and the robot is like a character in their story. Okay, so is... instead of programming the robot just in order to teach a concept, like this is how you decide the direction that your robot is going to go. That's, that's important. That's a, that's a pre-coding skill. Oh my but gosh, if, it's, yeah. if the robot is going to a birthday party at the house that you built for them, <laughs> then that's an even richer experience. Okay. Love it because we, we did that this year with our Kivos. We've done some funny things with our Kivos before. <laughs> we got, they had a Jewish wedding once because we're at a Jewish day school. <laughs> Um, they walked down the aisle. They were programmed to walk down they, the aisle. They coded it. Great. Yeah. Perfect. Um, <laughs> but we, you know, I love the idea. You said it, it could live in the, I did a maze this year with the kids yeah. where we were just kind of exper experimenting one morning, like with the blocks and, and getting it to work um, and go through the maze. But I love the idea of it, if, of it living in the room, like let's build a house for the Kibo and, and, and yeah. something like that. But and I love that because then it also speaks to another tangent, which is like a long living construction project, right? Like something yes. we can like keep up and really hang on to. Yes. Yeah. I, one of the things I, I encourage teachers to do is, is to not clean up the blocks. If there's a way that you can leave a project out for multiple visits, or iterations is what the design engineers would call it, Ooh, then, then I think that's fantastic. Many classrooms can't do that. You know, we, they just don't have the space to do that. And um, 
if you can do it, I think I think that's a wonderful opportunity for children to extend learning and to learn from each other too. Because when you come and visit a block area where somebody's already built something, you could start all over again, or you could kind of take their idea and expand it and do something new. And then then they're collaborating um, in new ways. Yeah. yeah, we had an amazing city this year. It was called Cornville. <laughs> we don't know why. <laughs> but um, the kids called it, named it Cornville, and it stayed up um, for like a good month. Yeah, and wow. we had uh, we had a lot of good stuff come yeah. out of that. But I think like I think we were like intentional about thinking about our classroom each year and how like where can we move the box so that they can stay up. Totally. And that we have yeah. we have a big classroom, so we were super lucky. But and I totally understand it's not feasible for everyone. But I think that that is like an important part. Like in the beginning of the year, if you can kind of just think about your space and is there a space where your building materials can be that can allow for them to stay up for a couple of days at a time, you know, totally. at least. And that that is a problem solving process that the children can be involved yeah. in. Oh, how great. to figure out totally. how to make it work in your classroom. Yeah, so even if I you don't really begin the year like block that. structures yeah. to stay up. Like how can we make that happen when we don't have all this space? And great idea. another thing, you know, going back into like I think the way Lindsay and I think though in these ways, like yes, we know it's great to keep the blocks out. Yes, we know long term projects with the blocks are great and and develop those skills around like the physical world but um you know i think we approach it from like a look at how they're learning to keep each other's to respect each other's ideas and and projects and look at how they're dealing with what happens when something falls down and, and a lot we always are com- more comfortable with the social emotional i think so can you walk us through like what are some of the what are some of the STEM skills? Maybe we could start by defining STEM, but what are some of the STEM skills in like a long-term city project or a house or something that the kids have built like that with blocks? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> so STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. And so starting with the S for science, uh, there's so much physics mm-hmm. involved in block play. Um, and I actually never took a physics class, <laughs> and I wish same, that I had, same. but so I was, scary. you know, so focused on music at the time that I was in high school, I was like, oh, I don't need to take a physics class. Exactly. Yeah. So, and Lindsay just I, said, that's so scary. I just so, avoided them. I was like, art only. <laughs> exactly. So what conditions? Help us. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have learned, I've, I've learned along with the children about gravity, about um, force and motion um, about how um, the weight of the block um, contributes to the ability to build something that's that's strong and um, and will stay up. You know, wooden a structure built with wooden blocks will last longer than a structure built with cardboard or foam blocks. Oh, so you can talk about why that is, but a lot of it has to do do with physics. Um, in architecture, we talk a lot about symmetry and balance oh from both the, the physicality of it, like if it's not balanced, it'll tip over, but also kind of the beauty of it, that if something mm. is symmetrical, if something is balanced, then it's, it's more pleasing to the eye. We often think mm. of those things as being more, more beautiful if, if there are two towers to the castle rather than just one. Ooh. It looks more elegant or it looks more um, fancy that way. So, That's so, cool. um, so we can talk about those those um, design issues. And, and so that's related to the E in STEM, which is engineering. So science and engineering, they're just so closely related. Right. But what I've learned about engineering, especially in terms of architecture, is that the difference between um, a, a researcher of physics in, in who's a scientist and an engineer is that an engineer is usually out in the world making real stuff for real people. It's applied, right? Yes, exactly. So that's why I got really interested in architecture and ended up writing a book for Redleaf Press, as you know, called Young Architects at Play. I'm holding because, it. <laughs> because it's a way of bringing meaning 
into the classroom to the children's structures because there are built structures all around them in their real world. They live in a structure. Hopefully they live in a structure. I do address that, that there are some children from families who experience homelessness and the way we talk about homes and structures with them might be a little bit different because we want to support and acknowledge the situation that they're in. But most of us do have a a shelter or a home to live in. The school itself where the learning is taking place is a structure and there are structures all around us. So there's this very immediate sense of meaning to children when we talk about design and and, and engineering. I think Um, and in in STEM, there's also the T for technology, and oh, that yeah. can be computers, but there are all other kinds of technology that are involved with building structures in the real world. There's those big construction vehicles, and there are cranes, and there are pulleys, and yeah, um, every house has electricity and utilities that go in it. That's all part of technology. And then, of course, the M is for math, and any of the um, anything having to do with block play and unit blocks is part of a system of math because the shapes and the angles and the um, the ways that the blocks fit together is all part of a, of a system that teaches children about fractions and um, ratios and all those um, sophisticated math concepts that they're going to encounter later. They're learning them in their hands through this tangible physical block play. Right. And also... Um there's also just that whole like thinking about architecture and like aesthetics like when you're talking about like two towers versus one at a young age that's you know that's still that's counting that's noticing numbers or value Mm -hmm. or amount um but that's so cool and i think coming from a um again like a teacher like a lens of a teacher who is you know maybe more like hesitant to be like yeah, I do STEM, like, confidently, you know. Right. Like, I, I can give that to my kids. I can I can yeah. incorporate that, or I can catch that when that happens um, and capitalize on it. I think it's really important because when you were talking, all those things you were saying, it was like, oh, yeah, we do that. Okay, yeah, I've done, oh, yeah. I've, I've talked about that. I've, you know, and that's, I think all teachers are doing that. And this, naming it, you know, under architecture or under construction or under, like, you know, the, the engineering principles, um, helps teachers advocate for play as the curriculum, right? When you can talk about its importance. Yes. And the children don't have a lot of the same fear of STEM that the teachers do. No, of course. You know, they haven't learned (laughs) to be afraid of math yet. (laughs) Of course. No, we're talking just from our, our very afraid of math perspectives. (laughs) Um, Right. But yeah, and of course, like they're all in. And I love how you said too that you you learned with them. I think, and it, you know, yeah. with those sorts of things, I'd be learning with them too. Yeah, like in like, the in the truest sense. A new, uh, we, I, we need another introduction. Yeah. <laughs> like when you were mentoring all that stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, we should probably look into all that. Again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what are you introducing Lindsay, Martha. We have an amazing new sponsor, along with our awesome sponsor, the Jewish United Fund. We are also working with American Jewish University, or AJU, this season. Um, And they've got an amazing offer to share with you. Um, They want you to have the opportunity, educators, to earn your early childhood education degree online with the School for Jewish Education and Leadership at AJU. Whether you are looking to complete your bachelor's degree or start a master's program, you will learn the skills, creativity, and leadership you need to advance your career in early childhood education. American Jewish University has been training educators for the last seven decades. Take the first step in advancing your classroom and administrative expertise by contacting us today at www.aju.edu forward slash education. Educating the educators who teach our children is our passion. This is what they're saying, not what we're saying. I mean, it is what we're saying too, but <laughs> educating the educators who's, who teach our children is AJU's passion and ours. Visit the School for Jewish Education and Leadership of American Jewish University online today at the same location. Lindsay just said, www.aju.edu forward slash 
forward slash education. We will also be posting all of that information in our blog so that you can get access it there. Thank you so much. Um, I feel like we do really uh, touch a lot on the social emotional aspect of um, all of our construction play in our classroom. And I know that you mentioned in your book the whole idea of deconstruction. Um, would you mm-hmm. say the deconstruction part really touches on the social emotional? Yes. Now, it's also connected to STEM because huh? in yeah. mathematics, <laughs> the children are going to learn composition and decomposition of, of numbers and of concepts related to math. So it's all it's all learning yeah. in so many levels. But the thing about deconstruction or taking things apart is that there are um, elements of respect for the materials and for the structures that other people build that comes into play when we take things apart um, or knock things over. Because yeah. <laughs> that happens. I mean, that's that happens just, you know, there's gravity in our classrooms. So, yeah. so things are going to fall over. Things are going to fall down. Um, but empowering children to have the, the autonomy and the agency to make their own decisions about when they're block structure is going to come down and who's going to knock it down mm. like i believe that you you need to ask somebody's permission if you're going to yeah. knock something down oh yeah for sure but the deconstruction of a block structure is a, is an important part of the learning process mm. because you see the parts that make up the whole and there's a a, a lot of um theory that goes into the way those blocks fit together, especially if you're using a standard unit block set, because those blocks were invented, those particular dimensions of the unit block was was invented by Caroline Pratt, who was a progressive educator 100 years ago in New York City, but she was inspired by the work of Frederick Froebel, so I was about who was to say, that the father like, of kindergarten. That sounds like some objects, right? Like he made his yes. little objects. Right. So he he developed sets of blocks that he called gifts. Oh, yeah, so gifts. they're like gifts. the Froebel gifts. Yes. And they were designed to fit together in a very particular way to scaffold um, a sequence of learning and understanding. And the the famous architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, played with right. Froebel, Froebel gifts when he was a little boy. And he was quoted when he was a famous architect is saying those blocks are still in my hands today. And, and what he meant is, you know, he learned these mathematical concepts, these G the geometry of, of um, how things fit together by playing with these, these blocks. And so how they go back into the box or how they go back onto the shelf is really important part of that learning Mm -hmm. process because the children see the um, characteristics of the shapes in ways that they might not have noticed otherwise and they're matching things and they're putting things together like a puzzle yeah so the deconstruction of the blocks is almost as important as the construction of the block blocks that's (laughs) awesome i know i guess i didn't think like i do love having the kids help me put them away because i do know just like the heavy lifting aspect of it and it is like a puzzle Mm -hmm. but it's just a whole nother way to really think about deconstruction kids love to put blocks away (laughs) i feel so would you say that blocks are one of your like go-to like materials materials that you say that is so helpful to have in a classroom for construction play oh absolutely and and unit blocks in particular now unit blocks. Yeah, when you're saying, yeah, when you're saying unit blocks, what is what exactly is that? What are we have? What we call big, big blocks. We have big. We have community play things like the big wooden blocks. We have those like really fancy, like colorful, different shaped blocks that come stacked in a pyramid. Um, we have is a unit block like you, what is that? Are you saying unit yes. block? So, unit. So a unit block. A unit. Uh, UNIT is a unit. unit. Yes. A unit block is known by its dimensions. Right. So you can find unit blocks sold by all different um, toy manufacturers, okay, yeah. okay. but it's a true unit block if it's five and a half inches long, and mm-hmm. then half of that is uh, two and three quarter inches wide, and then its um, height 
is half of that, which is 1.375 inches. So the ratio um, is four to two to one. So there's a, there's a beautiful mathematical ratio that's built into that um, size and that's the unit and it's a brick. And yeah. then all the other shapes that are part of that set are in proportion to that unit. So there are half unit squares, there are half unit um, um, oblongs, rectangles that are kind yeah. of like a, a stick of butter, right? Right. Yeah. And then there are quarter units, there are quarter unit triangles, there are quarter unit um, oblongs as well. So they're all in this beautiful um, system and connected to each other. And Carolyn Pratt found that that particular size of the brick was ideal for children to build on the floor. Um, the Froebel gifts are much smaller and they're intended to be tabletop blocks, but the unit blocks are are really intended to be built on the floor. Um, and they're light enough that children can manipulate them easily, but they're heavy enough that you can build a really nice tower with them. Oh, okay. So there's some standardization of these children's toys. I had no, I really didn't know about that. Me neither. That's really cool. And how do you feel about magnetiles? I like magnetiles, but they're a very different type of yes. construction toy. Yes. Um, the what makes them fit together, of course, is the magnets. Mm-hmm. But I I notice that often we miss an opportunity to teach children what magnets are. Like some children will play with magnetiles for years and never know yeah. what a magnet is. Totally. And they're they're there's still the value of learning um, how they fit together, even if you don't understand the, the science behind it. But it's it's really fun and easy to show children a teaching magnet that has the north and the south poles marked on it, either uh-huh. with a letter or a color, so that you can explain to children that there are there's a positive and a negative um, force. Yeah. Um, and the opposites attract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the opposites are drawn together. And the the same like poles will repel. And some children will notice that when they're playing with the magnet tiles, that they'll try to right. fit them together a certain way and they'll actually push apart a little bit. You right, feel that like the train resistance. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different construction experience gravity is not as much an issue because you've got those those magnets in there and when something does fall apart when a magnetile structure does fall apart it falls apart suddenly and spectacularly yeah (laughs) and it's a very different type of deconstruction than what happens when the blocks fall apart and they kind of tumble and you can sort of predict what direction they're going to fall in so Magnetiles are fascinating, but it's very different. Mm-hmm. It's a different. It's almost like a different language than building with with wooden blocks or other types of, of construction materials. That's awesome. Well, what are some of your other favorite materials, or what do you think? What do you if you have any philosophy on materials for this in general? I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Well, I think you know wooden blocks are great um, because of the beauty of the wood, and also we build with wood in real life like you know homes and other kinds of structures do actually incorporate wood i do really like legos oh yeah with a few yeah. with a few caveats because <laughs> of course with the with the very young children we need to use the duplo bricks that are bigger than the the little tiny lego mm-hmm. bricks because right. the little hazard. tiny lego bricks are choking hazards for our, for our little babies so we have to watch out for that um but Legos, there's such a variety you can build with Legos, and older children continue to build with Legos. Mm-hmm. You know, Eve, I know some adults who build with Legos, right? We're so surrounded it's by a Legos very personal, <laughs> um, open ended, can be open ended um, to build with Legos. The Lego kits. I think has some value to some children, especially if they're a big fan of like Star Wars or, you know, they want to get the kit that comes from the movie or the TV show that they watch, but we don't need those in the classroom. They can do that at home. I think that open-ended, very like basic brick kind of sets for the Legos. Um, One of the things I love about Legos is the Lego people who, I mean, 
the Lego people. Not mm-hmm. not the little tiny Lego people. I mean the actual humans who make the Lego. <laughs> oh, yeah. the, it's like, hmm. the Lego company in yeah. Denmark yeah. has done some amazing research on children and play. Yep. And, yeah. and I've had the experience of going to Denmark and visiting wow. um, the, the actual, you know, Lego um uh, foundation sponsored an international conference that I attended. And if you go to the Lego Foundation website, they have amazing resources for teachers and parents. Mm, like oh if you God, ever want eh? to convince the families that you work with that yeah. play is important, just go to the Lego Foundation website and download a couple of their brochures or their reports because they have beautifully designed materials like everything's very colorful and very polished but they've also done such great research to really show the value of what we're we're doing with children and that feels really great to be able to support the the lego company when they're doing that good work thank you for that resource we love legos um any other any other favorites um or some that might be harder to get but you suggest or like not not uh what is it like something you wouldn't necessarily think of think of to use like a like a recycled item yeah I mean I had a lot of fun when I was teaching going to Home Depot and just kind of walking around and seeing what they had so anytime we can find authentic materials that um, professional builders use that are safe to bring into the classroom. So even just a couple of terracotta bricks, um, you don't need a lot of them. They're, they're heavy. You don't, you don't want to carry a lot of them around, but bringing a few into the block area and combining those with the blocks you already have. Um, Plastic, PVC pipes, if those can be used, not just in the water table, but as a construction material, um, any kind of scraps that you might find around that are safe, you know, if they're, if they don't have nails or if they don't have splinters, um, stones, um, what else, you know, natural materials, like tiles, um, did you say tiles? Sorry. Tiles. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, If you can bring blocks outdoors, that's a great way of combining blocks with natural materials that might already be out on your playground. Um, If you can put them in the sandbox, um, or if you have some blocks that you can designate as getting sandy or getting Mm -hmm. wet, um, to combine with sticks and leaves and other kinds of materials. it's sometimes it's the combination of interesting materials that makes something seem new. I love that you're talking about like bringing it outside so that like the context changes. And that Mm kind of reminds me of something, um, we, that like something I think you talk about is like a story, an architecture Mm -hmm. story. Um, so like how storybooks can inspire children, but even just like if you bring it outside and change the narrative to like, we're making a house for bugs, you know what I mean? Um, yes. That yes. sort of thing is so much more, I, I'm assuming, um, motivational and, and fun for the kids to partake in. Yeah. And that's something that architects think about when they're designing a building is what is the um the environment where this building is going to um, be built, they'll look at the the actual physical surface that the structure is going to exist on. Is it is this is it really soft? And you're going to have to figure out how to make it strong enough to hold up the building. Is it is it wet? Is it possible that this area could flood when it rains? Mm. And children can think about those things too. If you're going to build in this spot in the sandbox, or if you're going to build in this spot on your playground, what do you need to think about, especially if you want the structure to last for a long time? So there are concepts of architecture that make for really interesting provocations and questions for children when they're building outdoors. Oh, I love that. Just thinking about like, you know, how to how the kids can even do that that's really cool um so yeah i I guess maybe if you want to talk a little bit more about those store like how we could use story books to inspire 
children in their constru- construction play. Um, but then also I know we, we've talked about co- uh, provocations and I would love to hear about like some of your favorite ones of those too. Yeah. So I think of picture books as, as provocations oh, perfect. and I, <laughs> I love looking at the illustrations of picture books um, to see what buildings are in the illustrations. So there are lots of fantastic picture books that are provocations for construction play that don't have anything to do with architecture or construction. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, the the picture book, Nuffle Bunny, like the very mm-hmm. popular picture Favorite. book, Nuffle Bunny. Some people say Knuffle Bunny, but I say Nuffle Bunny. <laughs> it's Nuffle Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not a picture book about architecture by any measure, but there are photographs of buildings in the illustrations. So the illustrations are a combination of photographs kind of used as the background and then the the drawn the animated or the drawn figures in the foreground are the characters in the story. But when you're reading the book to the children and they're looking at the pictures, you can draw their attention to the buildings. They're they're the buildings where Trixie and her family live, like these kind of traditional Brooklyn brownstones and then they go through the park they go by the school they go to the laundromat so there are all kinds of really interesting buildings and structures in that storybook so that could be used as a provocation for children to build their own um, version Uh of those places or to make it for their own neighborhood like if if Trixie and Nuffle Bunny lived in our neighborhood what kinds of structures would there be and where would where would our laundromat be and how would we walk there what what, how would the street um, be designed let's make a path with blocks to show the street that we would walk down if we were going to the laundromat so there are all kinds of really interesting provocations that can come out of just the illustrations in a in a picture book gotcha and um Right off the top of my head, I'm thinking Iggy Peck Architect. Iggy Peck <laughs> Architect, but that's I'm thinking Three Little Pits. Oh yeah, I go right to Iggy yeah. Peck. <laughs> Iggy Peck is great, and and I think it like really illustrates that different materials. <laughs> and exactly, it like shows the artist at work, the architect yeah. at work. But I feel like we always get into this thing with Three Little Pigs because like. The kids start to wonder, like, wait a second, what is, why does the straw house get blown Mm -hmm. down? Oh, it must not be straw. Like, you know, it's always Mm -hmm. kind of, I feel like it always leads to building. I don't know. Yes. And and you can test out different materials. Like, let's try Mm -hmm. to actually make a house out of straw and see what happens. Yeah. And And that's, so I think our librarian did do that. Remember, she did that this year. We built houses. Oh, yeah. And... I don't know if we tried to break them down, but that's awesome. You can, use, you can easily use. She used the um, hair dryer. Oh yeah, she blew them down with the hair dryer. That's amazing. There's an, uh, a picture book about materials that you use to build a house that I really like. Um, I mention it in in my book. It's on my list, but it's called "This House Once," and it's by Deborah Friedman. And it's beautifully illustrated, and it's kind of um, poetic. It's really a poem. Mm-hmm. But um, the author goes through and shows the different materials in the house and also shows where they came from. So the wood comes from a tree. Um, oh, cool. the, the clay comes from the ground. The, the glass comes from the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really very beautiful, beautifully done, but it does provoke children to think about where the materials in their own homes and schools comes from. Oh my gosh, this is yeah. amazing. I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. I need to buy it. It's so good. It, it, just, it teaches you too about just those processes of like, we, since we're at a Jewish day school, we do blessings for food. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, um, you know, it often comes up about the process of how do we get our food. And so yeah. this is a great way to almost um, get into a similar cycle, a similar mm-hmm. conversation about cycles, you know? Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Um, any other like provo- other oh. like favorite prov- provocations for or, you? Or open-ended questions? Mm. That you can ask children while they're yeah, like, engaged in the play? Yeah, ooh, that's good too. Just like, how do you move it further when they are playing? And then like, what are some easy buttons teachers can press to like get something started in their classroom building-wise? 
Yeah, I think building a house for um, a toy animal or a little toy person is a is a really great way to get started. Um, so a child who might be reluctant to come into the black corner and build, if they have a little toy that they brought from home, then you could invite the child, you know, say they have a little little bunny toy or something that they brought. So, well, do you want to build a house for the bunny? And then children who have experience building, but maybe they, they're ready for a new idea, to offer them different sizes of toys and invite them to build houses because there's a certain size that is really easy to make with a unit block because um, a roof can only be a certain size before you're going to have to put an extra wall to keep it up, right? Mm, totally. So if you're building a, a structure for a larger toy. What do you do? That Yeah, how do you make a roof for that? Like, how do you build an extra wall on the inside? Or do you find some other materials that you could use to build a roof? Okay, So adding roofs um, can become a very challenging and complex Mm -hmm. and collaborative experience is figuring out how to build a roof for something. And I think, just sorry to butt in here, but I think that's where a lot of teachers can start, right? Is because I feel like they'll get into, they'll see those situations happening and then they'll realize that in their brains, like, oh, he's not going to be able to, he or she is not going to be able to put that block to make the roof because there's no support in the middle Mm -hmm. or whatever. And then they either tell them, put it there or tell them it's not going to work. But maybe that's what we need to start tapping into a little bit more is that moment of like, oh, there's a, there's a dilemma and I need to highlight instead of solve so that the child mm-hmm. can come to yeah, solve. Yeah, definitely. And it is helpful to have some flat pieces of cardboard or if you have some flat pieces of wood available to make roofs because sometimes mm-hmm. that does, children sort of hit hit a wall figuratively, yeah, symbolically hit a wall <laughs> um, because it is so hard to build a roof when yeah. you only have blocks <laughs> of a certain size. So sometimes they get a little bit stuck. So not necessarily um, presenting these materials to children as things you can make a roof out of, but just having them nearby. Yeah. And then yes, as yes. children are ready to explore further, having something flat and wide yeah. could be really helpful. I was already like, where? how do they build a roof? <laughs> cardboard, flat yeah. cardboard You're is a good thing to have around. with them, Lindsay. You're going to learn I was like, that them. is a good challenge. Um, okay, flat cardboard to have around. Or even just like poster board, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I guess to finish up, what resources do you recommend besides your amazing Lego. book? Um, we talked about some toys, Legos, um, Unit blocks. Yeah, just using regular yeah. unit blocks, Magnetiles. things like that. But yeah, and, and I would any recommend looking at websites for um, architecture museums and architecture centers oh. to get inspiration through the photographs that they have up. Like Chicago Architecture Center has a wonderful website. Cool. Um, and they have a lot of Chicago-specific um images of buildings of course but um a little little googling of some other architecture museums and architecture centers around the world interestingly um in terms of architecture materials for children there are some great resources in spain and portugal (laughs) and i'm not quite sure why that's sort of a hub of architecture educators yeah maybe they're Um, pumping them out over there there's an architecture magazine for children mm-hmm. called a mag a m a g and it is translated into english and i believe it's published or it comes out of spain um out of madrid and um it's a, it's a intended for probably like kindergarten first graders so it's a little bit on the high edge but they have activities um, where you can make things out of household materials. Often it's paper uh, of ways of folding paper into interesting ways That's to make sick. models of different kinds of buildings or um, okay, well, that's, bridges and things like yeah. that. Um, that's fantastic. And so respectful to children to have their own publication. Like I just love yeah. Yeah. I just love yeah. that. Um, okay, well, amazing. I feel like... I feel yeah. a little bit more ready. I'm, I feel a little <laughs> excited to get in there now and get some building done. Um, 
I mean, there's just so many things. There's the images in your book are amazing. Um, there's one of these shovels hanging yes. outside for like a mm. digging, a designated digging area. And we're like, how do we make this happen? How do we let people, <laughs> how do we make people let us do this at our school? Um, yeah. And you talk about well, map making. I'm just, I'm, yeah. And I love and how there's right. making a map of the classroom. I think these are. So, and I have another tangent, sorry, question. Would you just like have a, some kind of construction available every day? Is that something you suggest? Oh, that's a great question. Yes, absolutely. Blocks yes. every day. Okay, cool. And I would say, especially now, as we have so many programs that are um, reopening um, or expanding because children have been learning at home. Um, mm-hmm. And this, this may be more true for kindergarten, first and second grade, because I know early childhood folks have been really courageous in staying open um, during the past year and a half. But mm-hmm. a lot of children have been looking at screens more yeah, than yeah, usual. For sure. And they need experience with three-dimensional mm-hmm. materials. And so blocks are so, so important mm-hmm. to um, getting them back connected to active play and um, real-world experiences that are going to balance out the time that they spend looking at screens. Yes, I That's love that. Connected play. Well, right. I wish I could literally talk about every page of your book. I love how you were like, how much time do we have? Because I could talk about this forever. I know. I'm like, <laughs> I turn the page and I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, but you might have to have a part two. We might need a part two, but I, the most I can say is it's this is an amazing teacher tool. Um, yes, even book. if you don't know how to read. I mean, you can just look at the pictures and <laughs> and kind of go for it. But yes. Um, Thank you so much yeah. for coming and chatting with us. Is there anything else that you want people to know about STEM or any questions you have for us or anything? Well, I, I wrote the book um, with the focus on architecture because I love blocks so much. Mm-hmm. And I remember playing with blocks when I was a little girl. And I also remember being told that blocks are for boys. Mm. So I want to just add a little note to say that I think we need to go out of our way to encourage everyone to play with blocks, mm-hmm. not just the, not just boys, of course, but not just the ones who go there first, you know, to the block right. corner first. Right. You know, you've got your regulars who always want to play in the block corner. So be sure to find ways to engage and invite the more reluctant children to come and play in the block corner. And you can do that, right, by trying to like you know if they are really interested in nuffle bunny if you know if they have their Mm -hmm. own lovey if they love you know a certain toy or something invite them to build a house or make this make the house from the three little pigs or whatever like kind of honing Mm -hmm. in on their interests and adding in sprinkling in the building and the architecting architecturing (laughs) i also think like leaving it up too invites that it invites other people to come right. and play because then they see like every day like oh look at we're you know they're adding this part yeah it's so, so true like, I using think that's the such books, a good message yeah leaving it up I love yeah that's such a good it's a good end message to make sure encouraging everyone to play it's everybody that. and all the different perspectives they bring there's no one way mm-hmm. right amazing um well thank you so much Anne this has been amazing yeah, it's been really fun for me too. So um, thank you and let's keep in touch. Yes, we sounds will for sure. good. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye bye.